filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So there's entirely too much going on tonight between the the stadium hearing, trying to record this show, um, and and other things happening on filibuster or on Facebook. Basically the same thing on Facebook and Twitter and our Slack channel and and everything. And because of all that, and because of Ben Bromley, my daughter's coloring book now smells like beer. I blame you, Ben. I'm blaming you. It's not my fault. You're the guy. It you're is the ones. You're the ones who delayed it most of an hour. I blame you. Well, this was... You have no this one to was, blame but yourself. Well, this was 20 minutes ago, so the last 20 minutes, I think, are on you. This isn't uh, a question of, of time. This is a question of spillage. That's true. That's true. Ben However, uh, was not that- accepting my my request to join the video chat that we record through. And I, I, I did not spill your beer. Yeah, you I was gonna you say, forced I'll- me to, to reach in a way that spilled my, my beer. I, I feel like you just need to you. have more uh, better balance and be more graceful. Well, it's that the beer was kind of blocked by my my microphone too. And well, I, I, th- I, I was reaching to... for something, and uh, anyway, it was Ben's fault. I think you need to go to Europe and improve your beer drinking skills. Leave MLS and anywhere in you Europe, need play, you need to play with more passion. You need I need to, to get out of my comfort three, zone. Three and it is. You need to get out of your drinking comfort zone. Does that mean I should drink some shandies? Because yes. I'm not. I'm not cool with that. You I don't think drink? that's going to help me not spill my beer when I'm distracted by too many things, well, and you don't then, accept me into the video then call. Others I don't will be think ahead that of drinking you. shandies will make that. <laughs> others will be ahead. Well, of Adam, you. Adam, you, I'm, really... I'm sixth or seventh on the beer drinking depth chart. <laughs> well, I was, I was about to say you're about you're about seventh on the podcast hosting depth chart right now. <laughs> That, that's actually pretty pretty high. <laughs> that's no, pretty, no, for, for pretty kind to me. For this podcast. S- still probably pretty high. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am sixth or seventh on the hosting depth chart, Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson, both of whom are somehow below me on the hosting depth chart because here I am hosting the show. Uh, we're all from blackandredunited.com. Why we don't have somebody better at hosting a podcast from the site host the podcast is beyond me um those two guys run the site i'll leave it to them we've got a good show for you tonight we are talking about dc united stadium hearing uh in front of dc's zoning commission which as we record is still happening uh and it's not going to end tonight we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about bruce arena the uh once and future uh manager of the u.s national team uh, past is present all over again. We're going to do some cake or death with DC United players, and we are going to talk about the MLS Cup playoffs. Before we do anything, though, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh, so I've got a um, I made ginger syrup for a drink. I should apologize to some of our listeners that clinking noise you heard was me trying to stir a drink that had uh, bits of pear that were just too large. Um, I was trying to keep them from floating to the top so I could actually drink the drink rather than having to chew. 
Um, no, str- no spoon this week. Uh, I have a rye old fashioned with uh, ginger syrup. Um, and, uh, it's Cody road rye. It's the rye I've been drinking for a few weeks now. Um, and it's uh, pretty excellent. It's there. It's a bitey rye and it's a bitey ginger syrup. So it's, it's fun. Ben. Uh, well, I, I, uh, created my drink under the impression that I would not have time to create a drink because we were supposed to start early, Adam. Um, and I just made a Manhattan because they're easy and fun and delicious. That's good. And are, and are needed after this insane day of soccer newsdom. <laughs> Indeed. I already gave it away that I am drinking a beer. It is DC Browse the Public, which is a nice standby here in the district. Um, let's talk about that stadium hearing. Uh, Ryan Kiefer called it bureaucracy in action. Uh, you can watch it live. And somebody pointed out that that might, might not be the best selling point for live streaming it, but that is exactly what it was. Um, the zoning commissioners heard an hour long presentation from DC United and their architects and their, um, traffic planner and the deputy mayor for planning and economic development, uh, for DC. And, then asked them questions and then there were some neighbors and organizations that testified and it kind of everything went out of order uh for some good reasons i would say um but in the end this is not the end uh no decision will be rendered tonight like i said they are still going they're going to reconvene on december 14th at 6 30 for another hearing hopefully that will be the final hurdle uh before shovels can can go into the ground at buzzard point the big news tonight though is john knight the the lead architect for populace on this project said uh, a couple of magic words that dc united supporters in particular have been itching to hear for i think literally years they've been wanting to hear these two words and, and those words are safe standing um john knight said that the supporters section which is 2100 strong at buzzard point will be safe standing um we noticed on the the renderings that have been coming out that it looked like aluminum bleacher seating on concrete risers essentially the whole stadium will be concrete uh risers but it looked like rather than individual seats it was bench seating in the supporters section i don't know if they're considering that safe standing or if they're actually going to put rails in with no seats or with flip down seats or or what but uh, whatever the, the thing, the definite buzz tonight on Twitter after the words safe standing were spoken. Jason, what, what do you think of this? Um, and it satisfies something that a lot of fans really, really wanted. Um, I can say that every, pretty much everything we've written about the stadium, we've written a ton. Um, and if you go on Twitter, it's the same thing. This has been something people have been harping on really since the idea of a stadium was proposed, even before it was approved, before it could exist, because, I mean, we've had some, uh, a chunk of the fans uh, of the club have been maybe ahead of the game on their complaints about the stadium. It's like, let's get to, let's get, let's make sure this thing will exist before we start complaining. Um, And this has been one of the things that people have been really loud about for a long time. Um, And we haven't, it's, you know, it was still up in the air. No one knew what the plan was there. Um, and so to hear that put on the record by, uh, someone who's, uh, heavily involved in the design of the stadium, that's a really good sign. 
Um, it's probably not where I'm going to be watching games from, but, you know, for getting a supporters group atmosphere in place, um, I think, uh, and Adam, you might have, you cited this, um, uh, on using our uh, Twitter account earlier, the, uh, the yellow wall with, uh, Borussia Dortmund is, it's a similar principle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously a smaller stadium. Um, right. but the idea is the same, um, to allow fans that want to stand that, that really can't exist in the way they want to exist without standing, um, the option to do so, uh, is, is a pretty good move. It's, it's a move that a lot of the talk about the stadium has been that, you know, for certain segments of the fan base, they say that almost like they've been left out of the design process. They feel forgotten. And this is a sign that they weren't forgotten, that they were heard and that, uh, not just heard, but actually, uh, given something that they really wanted because I, I mean, the reaction when that came out and, um, and I, I'm pretty sure we're the only people talking about it. Um, I guess we're the nerds yeah. that are obsessed with that sort of thing. We are the ones that are live streaming um, zoning commission right. hearings and actually attending them in person yes. in the case of Steve Streff, who is on Twitter at Streff Soccer. And if you do nothing else after this podcast, follow him on Twitter because he uh, puts in a lot of work that literally nobody else does going right. to ANC hearing meetings and zoning commission hearings and, and just sitting through hours of bureaucracy and action right. to be the guy on the scene in the room reporting stuff that no one else is right um, about dc united it's pretty pretty fantastic that we have him on our staff yeah and and, and so Stephen can inform us of what's actually going on there which um depending on what news organization you are may or may not be your interest um you should listen to no other news organizations but us about all news <laughs> we'll tell you everything you need to know about the world um yep. all of it but uh, no, it, it's 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 a big thing for for a lot of fans. The excitement level that came with that, and and the surprise level. Um, mm-hmm. Now, granted, granted, some of the surprise in some cases was, was from people who generally skew pessimistic, which is fine. People do that; it's just human nature. Um, well, I I was surprised. I jumped into our Slack channel yes. with in all caps and said, "Did and, he just say and that?" And Adam skews very optimistic. Um, yes, and so yeah, I think collectively. Um, no matter how you land on what the stadium design is or anything, it is a surprise and it's surprising good news. So um, it should be pretty cool. It'll, it'll allow the supporters groups a lot of flexibility. I mean, there's still issues there as far as how those groups are going to be apportioned out, whether there's going to be they're just going to be sort of stuck sorting themselves out. I don't think anyone will be happy with that. But um, this one piece of news, at least, is is pretty good. I, I don't think anyone's going to complain about that. Yeah, and I will say Populous is designing two other MLS stadiums that are are being built right now in Minnesota and Orlando, both of which include big safe standing sections. So it may be that that they finally convinced DC United's ownership to accept this. It may be that DC United's ownership uh, came onto it on their own and and said, we want that that those stadiums have. We don't know exactly how it happened, but it sounds like uh, according to John Knight, anyway, there will be safe standing uh, on Buzzard Point, which is really good news. Um, back to the actual hearing tonight. Um, one thing I noticed, every single commissioner, uh, I think, unlike the previous hearing that, that on the stadium in front of the zoning commission, every single commissioner praised the changes to the design and said, you guys have made a lot of progress. This is a lot better than... 
uh, it's been in the past with regard to materials, with regard to the retail that's been added in recent weeks, with regard to the park and plaza, um, and just the the general design. They they seem to like a lot better, which is which is good for people who want the stadium to be built. They still have issues, uh, and the neighborhood still has issues. Those seem to center around transportation, uh, whether by bike, car, foot, metro, mm-hmm. uh, ultralight. UFO, what Parasail. have you? Parasail, duck, uh, duck boat. I one thing I feel like was uh, undersold. Not a lot of rowing, right? Concern. Um, um, and I know and I read a Washington Post article about a guy who commutes by uh, rowing. What is it even called? It skiff, <laughs> uh, like the kind of boat that you row and crew. Like he is a one man skiff. Skiff, yeah, I think skiff is the word. Uh, it, that he he. I know, you know my boat terminology. He I, he drives I really from wherever he is. Living in, close to Annapolis, the people here are going to find out that I don't know anything about sailing, and they're going to run me out of town. <laughs> this is a serious danger. You're going to have to move to Virginia. Well, well, not Virginia. I'll just have to move further away from Annapolis. Is all, but you know, they will chase <laughs> me to like the town line and be like, "No, never come back here. <laughs> Sailors only." Anyway, I read a Washington Post profile of a guy who commutes by skiff rowing in the potomac every day um i, I know a guy who uh commutes through the uh rapids in on the james in downtown richmond uh to work every day richmond is home of the only class five rapids in a major metropolitan downtown and he commutes through them to work <laughs> that just seems silly <laughs> Does he Why also like fight off a dragon on his way in or uh does he put like probably a- a Wolverine in his boat just to raise the level of difficulty. I, I don't know. Yeah, probably no, he, ask him and report back next sets, week. Please. He sets the very back end of his boat on fire and has to get there before it has burned him. <laughs> That's especially hard because I'm pretty sure in rapids you want to drive from the back of the. This boat, is just so. how it's going to go. You can't see <laughs> with the fires in front of you, so. That's true. That's a good point. There's no good place to set a fire on a white water. <laughs> no, raft. it turns out <laughs> raft for a, a one a one person boat. Yeah, there's no room for fire, so he's got <laughs> he's got to hustle. The biggest issues for the the zoning commissioners tonight did not involve where to set the fire. They involved transportation to and from the stadium and public health for the the residents in the southwest area um especially during construction there were some concerns about potential displacement as the area becomes economically more developed uh but but the more immediate concerns seem to be about uh health and and safety in the uh in the the shorter term during construction now i think the the big thing is that these residents should be protected i think that that's not really up for question the big question is who should be doing the protecting whether dc united should be paying for stuff and i can see the argument for that i can see the argument for the city paying for stuff because they're pushing this project as well uh but there there was a request for air filters to keep particulates out of people's homes which which seems reasonable uh request for more traffic plans i know the anc who i think is testifying probably as we record uh doesn't want to see anything go forward until there's transportation studies um that haven't been performed by anybody ever in this area uh there have been traffic studies they want something way more comprehensive than has ever been performed uh at any level here whether that's reasonable or not i'll leave to the zoning commission to decide 
Ben, I guess, how happy were you to hear that the zoning commission really appreciated the changes that have been made as far as retail and, and some of the other changes around the stadium design? I mean, obviously it's a really good thing to hear. Um, it's as we've, as we've always said, this is the last turtle before there are shovels in the ground. Uh, but I know they have the power to stop this, but I think, I just don't know that the zoning commission would be that bold. It doesn't seem like once a plan is already passed, everybody else has passed the council, which is much more fraught and has much more power uh, than a zoning commission. I, I would think and hope that uh, they would voice their, make sure everything is voiced and heard and uh, things like that, but that they would let the plan go through unless there is something egre- egregious happening. This being DC, of course, uh, the worst is most likely to happen. And whenever something can go wrong, it likely will go wrong. But- right. I think this is less about the zoning commission stopping it rather than the, the zoning commission enforcing changes to it before it goes forward. And that's what, when, when Ackridge was applying for party status to oppose this, to try to force more retail before DC United made the changes uh, they ultimately did, they were, saying we support the idea of a stadium, but we think it should be done in this way and the zoning commission should enforce that. So I think that's what most of these groups are also trying to do. They're trying to say, you should let this go forward, but with conditions that have to be met. And that is at the very least a better place for DC United to be in than a, an up or down vote where there can be a dead stop on all forward progress on the stadium but at the same time, there are there's the possibility conditions could be too onerous for them to move forward, which would be incredibly bad for the stadium. Right, and that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm hoping that the zoning commission allows this airing of grievances, but and allows some changes to be made. But at this point, if a lot more changes are to be made, it's gonna uh, it could crush DC United's actual ability to make the stadium happen. Right. I what I want to see is not not a delay. I I wouldn't mind seeing some protection, especially for the health of the the neighbors while construction is happening. Uh, that I I certainly wouldn't mind seeing because I I live in a construction zone myself and I can relate to that. But there, the idea that they should have to delay for six months so that they can conduct a traffic study that that wasn't even required of Nats Park seems a it seems like a big ask for for the community on that front. I want their health to be protected. There there should DC United maybe should do a little more traffic planning between now and the 14th when they they present again, but I don't want to see any delays on this. I this stadium needs to go forward. Let's move, turn our attention now to the US men's national team and their brand new slash old manager Bruce Arena back in the chair with the U.S. men's national team taking over for Jurgen Klinsmann. We speculated last week that that it would be uh, Arena. That's where reports were, were pointing. Now it's official. And uh, that's two weeks in a row we're, we're talking about the U.S. men's national team. And I did not preface it with a, gosh, you guys, I'm upset. We have to talk about the U.S. men's national team. This is... Already, like, talking about the team is a, a weight off my shoulders when I do it because there's not Klinsman there to make me feel terrible. I think this 
this could have boiled over into some personal animus. He really uh, did. I have, but I... He really did make it difficult for, like, not just us that have to cover the team because we write, you know, we write a soccer blog. It's kind of, it's not, a, no one's making us do it, but it makes sense for us to do it. But I mean, I've got, I've got friends that, that follow soccer a little, to a little less of a nerd degree. Um, and to a man, it's it, anytime the national team came up, they're like, it just feels like a chore. Um, because yep. of Klinsman. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you, as soon as he is involved, you have to grapple with his, weird decisions or or outright bad decisions um and and just the being a jerk to fans factor um notwithstanding his um he wrote a uh or he wrote he filmed a um thank you to fans video that that was was classy you have to say that but um the rest of the time has been a real pain yeah i think that's absolutely right i'm glad i'm glad you came in rescued me there from feeling bad about feeling bad about talking about Jurgen Klinsmann's men's national team. Uh, let's talk about what Bruce Arena means for for the Nats. We talked about what it might mean for for DC United players last week. But as we, we move forward in the hex, Ben, do you think the appointment of Arena, number one, do you, do you like this pick? And number two, does it help us immediately uh, with January camp coming up and and the hex resuming in March. Yes, uh, I both I like the pick for this particular situation, and I think it makes the USMNT better right now. Uh, this is not the time in a cycle to be appointing a Bielsa, even though, and that would be a disaster on all fronts, which we kind of talked about before. And yeah, uh, but or this is not a time for even Oscar Pereja or Greg Berhalter or whomever you want to be the next like cool U.S. men's national team coach. Because if they can't pull it off and they miss out USA getting to the World Cup, their career is done forever in national team coaching. Uh, and especially someone like Pereja uh, needs some would need some time to implement his system, to get used to coaching a national team rather than a club team, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Bruce knows how to coach a national team and he knows MLS inside and out. Uh, He knows the player pool uh, both in MLS and abroad. Uh, And I think he can come in and get the best use out of the players that we have right now and get the team going and get the team performing at its at least closer to its peak, because Jurgen, the with Jurgen, the some of the parts the team was less than the sum of its parts, and I think Bruce can at least getting get the team playing to close to the sum of all the parts, if not more. Yeah, I think that's the thing that made it hardest to watch about Jurgen. Actually, that that dovetails nicely with our earlier conversation. Is Jurgen erased the identity that the U.S. men's national team had? Whether whether you call it run fast, play hard, or be solid defensively and clinical in the attack, or just a, a strong mentality, he talked about creating this American style of proactive soccer, and then did exactly the opposite and made us made the U.S. play like minnows, no matter who they were playing against. They looked like the lesser team with no famous players, with no pedigree, with no name recognition, and 
and that's not what the U.S. is. There are there's some really good players on the U.S. men's national team. Uh, no matter what league they may be, they may be, and there are guys who have uh, taken the best Spanish defenders and spun them like tops in the Confederations Cup. Uh, there are guys who have schooled Brazilian national teamers in midfield. It's, but you wouldn't see that under Jurgen Klinsmann. It just they wouldn't play like that. And yeah. Bruce Arena's teams played with a certain, they played a certain way. They played simply, they played to their strengths. And hopefully we see that again. Jason, my question for you is what this means for the LA Galaxy. Bruce Arena was their general manager and head coach. And today the Galaxy appointed a new yeah. general manager to take that spot. Um, the name P- is escaping Peter, me uh, right Bahanas, now. Who was in MLS for roughly like, 15 of the 20 seasons the league existed yeah um, he was it. around for a long long time um but he's never been a general manager anywhere before um he's been working in the galaxy organization on the soccer side but he hasn't been a gm um so he is now doing this for the first time um the coaching situation dave sarakin has already before arena was named coach dave sarakin said he was stepping down just to pursue something else i think he wants to be a head coach somewhere else and maybe maybe he found out that the galaxy weren't really willing to give him the gig i don't know what it, the timing of that was strange um but he's going somewhere else so the most experienced hand uh, on their bench that wasn't bruce arena is gone as well um kurt anolfo has been bandied around he's been coaching the um the <laughs> la galaxy too that is the correct reaction um we do have to remember it has been six years since he was a head coach in this in MLS. So you have to care. assume he's learned something in that time. But we're no, still, you, you know, the Galaxy Two hasn't been that great of a USL team. They were fine, but I think it's actually been six and a half years because you can't give him credit for that second half of that season. Well, it's it's six it's six years and some months, some number of months. Okay, um, that's fair. But uh, and also USL is vastly different right it, it's a MLS. different league he's coaching a development well, team um they did make yeah the playoffs. his goals hasn't necessarily um, been to win every no week. but they did make the playoffs um so they're not it's not like he was running an fc montreal equivalent where it was a disaster in terms of oh, in terms God, of winning games horrible um granted you know with respect to fc montreal as we've brought up before they are mostly playing teenagers um they have no interest in winning they just want to make better soccer players um but anyway um, Anolfo isn't the, it's not like he's the list. It's not like the galaxy are going to hire him. Um, he's on the list. He's one of the guys they're talking to the, the news today, this morning came out that, um, I think it was Alexi Lawless tweeted out that, um, the galaxy have contacted other MLS teams asking permission to speak to their head coaches about the job. And we have to be honest, the, the LA galaxy coaching gig is the premier coaching gig in major league soccer. Um, I don't like saying it. Um, but at the same time, when earlier today, Merritt Paulson was asked a question about that and his response was that the Portland Timbers job is the biggest job in MLS. And the (laughs) response from everyone across the board was, okay, Merritt, fine. Um, because it's not, it isn't. The galaxy is easily the highest pressure gig. It's easily the most visible gig. Um, it's the one where you're most likely to get the investment in big time players and actually have some say in the designated players, obviously not. Total say, or you know, you end up with Steven Gerrard, um, or the I guess the 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 corporeal form of Steven Gerrard, um, 
Right, but you're not going to be Jason Christ out of New right. York. Right, you're not either. just going to be handed players that absolutely don't make any sense and, and told good luck. Um, and when it goes wrong, like McStiskerud, yeah, yeah, um, who who NYCFC as an aside had to say that they aren't going to buy him out, and they're just waiting for someone to take him off their hands, basically, um, in one of the saddest. Go Atlanta, go! Yeah, right. Um, Atlanta seems like a well-run organization. I don't think they're going to go in on on that insane contract. Um, but anyway, um, you know, the, the Galaxy job is huge. It's it's a big enough job where you could offer it to. Coaches currently in Liga MX, um, you could offer it to people who already have a good coaching gig, and they'll say, "I'm going to leave my job for this job." Um, right? There's a reason people have been tossing around Piojo, uh, yeah. Miguel Herrera, who is, I think, leading Liga MX right now with Tijuana, right. um, which is well, basically they, an they LA's media get, market. They and did, um, if I'm not mistaken, get knocked out of the playoffs. Um, in, okay. Uh, Liga MX' playoffs runs a lot like MLS's, where the higher seed keeps getting knocked out. I think out of the in the quarterfinal round, only one of the top seeds advanced. Um, so there's something to that maybe in playoffs. But anyway, just like MLS. Right. But anyway, um, you know, I, I know that um, the guys over at Massive Report have already. I, I can't remember exactly what the article is called, but they wrote something about the possibility of Greg Berhalter being contact or the crew being contacted by the galaxy so that the galaxy could talk to Berhalter. I think it's more speculation, um, but Berhalter played for the galaxy. Um, he is well liked by Bruce arena. So if they called arena and said, what do you think of this guy? He's going to probably say, you should probably hire him. Um, uh, Berhalter also, it's just occurring to me right now. Um, his coaching go- job in Sweden was at Hammerby, which I'm not st- I'm not sure if Hammerby is still owned by Antrits Entertainment Group, but they were at the time. Um, so somewhere yeah, up the it, org man. chart there, um, someone in charge of Antrits Entertainment Group's sports properties knows Greg Berhalter's coaching resume very well. Um, so that's, that's a name that's probably going to come up a lot. Um, but it, we're going to see some names that aren't in MLS as well. I mean... If Atlanta United can get uh, Tata Martino, then the Galaxy are not going to just settle for an MLS retread, so to speak, unless he unless that person absolutely sells him on being the best man for the job. So it's going to be wide open. Will they go back to Ruud Hullet? Probably not. I think Ruud Hullet's <laughs> job. I think the odds of Ruud Hullet. I like that getting, you had to say probably. His his odds of getting that job are roughly the odds of the Galaxy contacting us to be a three man coaching triumvirate. Um, at which point, I wanted to tell our listeners, we will run the galaxy into the ground. Uh, and if oh, Ben yes. and Adam try we to stop take me, that I will make sure I will, we will. I will run them out of the job. I will. I will. It will be Shakespearean in magnitude, and then I will run the galaxy into the ground myself. Um, there will be a list oh, of teams that we will try to beat. I will sign the oldest, uh, the and slowest uh, designated players <laughs> uh, for the most amount of money. We will sign one of you as a designated player. Well, it depends. As long as it you depends. kick back you a portion be, of your salary. I've got to be entertained by your antics, though. We're not just doing this. That's it's, true. It's not going to be a grim running into the ground. It'll be fun. Carlos Carlos Ruiz will definitely be starting uh, about yes. 28 games because he'll be suspended. He'll start as many games as he is able to stand and walk onto the field for. Um, yes. Yeah, it'll be and a I think good old time. I think we'll have to let our listeners just let this ruminate and sink in uh, while we take a quick break. We will be right back. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, 
you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We've had, hopefully you haven't heard this uh, in your experience of this file, but we've we've lost some of our tape due to technical difficulties. So we are going to go through a not quite lightning round, but we're going to quickly go through take or death. No, no, not quite lightning round, Ben. Get it right. There's a not quite. Not quite. Lightning round feel like you need to mash them together into one thought. Keep working on it off mic. We are going to do cake or death right now. Yes, that is the name of the segment. Good luck writing that in the blog post. <laughs> First up in cake or death, which is the segment where we go through DC United's roster player by player and ask whether we want them back for next year. Uh, we, we are paralleling this uh, on the site. So if you want to see polls of our readers go to blackandredunited.com we have every single post on there first up this week is colin martin uh the the playmaker who has been oft injured these uh over the last two years didn't play much this year i think just the one game down in orlando to end the regular season after he finally came back from injury similar situation last year where he spent a lot of year the year injured has been promising in his appearances in uh richmond and I can talk a lot more than I did the last time we recorded this, but because we're making this a not quite lightning round, Ben cake or death uh, goat. He's cheap. He's off, but he's off roster off the roster budget. Uh, when he's been healthy, he's shown enough in Richmond that I've liked. He's been uh, a very good player there. Uh, like I said, he's cheap. He's off budget. Goat. And he's good. I would argue that he's a good player. Lightning uh, round. And I would also give him cake. Not quite lightning round, Ben. <laughs> also, I don't like having to explain to listeners every week what, what goat and whatever other thing you guys use is. It's fox. Uh, it's, it's fox. <laughs> it's called a fox. Cake is, cake is obviously good. Death is obviously bad. I don't think first-time listeners understand goat and fox. We're throwing them in the deep end. Can Foxes, we just move on to my to Foxes my answer so that we can get through this? They thing? don't, Ben. They don't eat goats. We covered We're not this even last close week. To lightning round now. 
Jason, in, my, rea- in my reality, they do. Uh, Colin Martin doesn't cost DC United anything. There's no good argument to get rid of him. Um, what I want to see next year is a lone stint to the Richmond Kickers, where he is day to day being relied upon to uh, to be a starter there. Um, so, in in summary and in conclusion, go. I I will add one more thought, and that is that the the move from a four four two to the four one four one really suits Colin Martin most probably as a backup for Luciano Acosta. I think that that is probably his role at DC United for the foreseeable future when he's not in Richmond. He's, he's not a winger. He's not a forward. He's not a two way midfielder. He is an attacking midfielder in the center of the park. And that's where he needs to be next up. Luke Mishu, who, uh, Really, most of uh, our listeners will will think of exactly one moment when they think of Luke Mishu, and that is the back pass to David Villa that opened the floodgates against NYCFC. United was kind of controlling that game at Yankee Stadium, uh, up one to nothing in I think the 69th minute before Luke Mishu dribbled into some trouble around the midfield stripe, turned around and passed it to precisely no one. Uh, allowing David well, Villa to pick someone. up the ball in space and go one on one. Well, no, David Villa ran onto the ball. It wasn't to him. It was into space. Uh, it was under hit if it was going to Hamid. It was badly miss hit if it was going to Bobby Boswell. In any event, David Villa scored and United would go on to lose the game three to two. And Luke Mishu spent the, the rest of that game and the next one in the mental equivalent of the fetal position. At least it looked that way to my eyes. Um, don't know if he ever quite recovered his confidence after that game. Jason, do you want to see him back in black and red next year, cake or death? I don't think it would be a disaster if he ends up as United, in the spot he has where he's United's like number four fullback, but he turns 26 in the middle of next season. So for someone at that age, I want to see someone pushing. I want to see that role going to someone who's pushing for time, and I don't think Mishu is pushing for playing time right now. So I've got to say Fox, but, you know, if he's still there, it's not the end of the world for for United. Ben, um, I say Fox as well. I think at the very least, DC could DC United could find somewhat equivalent uh, after the draft, just like they found Mishu a couple of years ago. Um, and this is one of the very rare cases where the uh, unknown is probably better than the known, uh, and so at the very worst, they can find someone equivalent who is younger, so Fox. I'm inclined to agree. Um, I really want him... I, I would like for him to to make a case to stick around, but I don't think he's done it. Um, and that's not just because he hasn't replicated the, the hair game he brought when he was on trial, where he had long hair and wore a do-rag. I'm all about crazy soccer hair. We need more of it, especially on DC United. And Luke Mishu is a missed opportunity there. Uh, I say death you know, figuratively speaking. Um, but like Jason said, if he's back, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. There are other positions of need that are ahead of fullback uh, depth, but I would like to see United improve on that position as well. Next up, uh, another easy cake in my book, and that's Patrick Mullins. United brought him in this year uh, in a trade midseason from NYCFC, which was the second MLS team he couldn't seem to crack the starting lineup on, despite outrageous numbers when he did play uh, on a permanent basis. And he came to DC United and I think exceeded even your high expectations, Jason. So uh, cake or death for your favorite Terp right now. 
this one's extraordinarily easy. Uh, you don't get a player that's as productive as Mullins has been uh, for the amount of money. And, and he's going to get a raise, and it will be richly deserved, and no one's going to bat an eye at the, the price tag that comes with it. Um, Mullins could be the starter for United for, you know, five-plus years. So, yeah, go. Ben, that's your cue. Yeah, go. Obviously, uh, Patrick Mullins, uh, his arrival coincided with other things as well, but also coincided with DC United's uh, offensive resurgence. And he has nowhere to go but up still. And he's young. He's American. He's going to get a raise, and that's great. And hopefully he's with DC United for a long time. And yeah, go. Yeah, that's the thing. He's, I think, out of contract right now, and so DC United will need to re-sign him going into next year. Um, pay the young man, please. Yeah, this one's easy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will add this. I wrote the article about this on the site, and I think Mullins' goal rate over, like, a per 90 basis, if he was to play 90 minutes every single game of the season, would be, like, 23 goals, um, which maybe doesn't put you in the, the, the thick of the golden boot race with... Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips and David Villa around, but it puts you on the fringes. Um, and even if you've got someone who's not quite in the golden boot race, but finishes like sixth, um, that's still excellent. That's not a bad situation to be in. Yeah. Especially with his assist numbers too, because yeah. he contributes not just goal scoring. He, he does a lot more next on our list is Lamar Nagel. He was DC United's leading scorer this year. Most of it as a substitute um, and most of it on the wing, not even playing up top. Um, Ben, cake or death for Lamar Nagel? Go. Uh, especially in the role he was playing in at the end of the season as the super dynamic attacking sub. Uh, yeah, he's great. I, I mean, I know that's not his preferred position. He would prefer to be starting, but uh, for DC United, at least, that's a great position for them to be in. And he can play a lot of different positions. He was uh, doing a Decent job at the beginning of the season, starting up top when Fabiana Spindola couldn't. And yeah, he fills a lot of roles. He's not super expensive. He was the leading goal scorer this year. How could you not give him a go? Yeah, I I agree. Um, and I think not even just as a as a sub. If if we pl- platoon the wings next year to make sure that Lloyd Sam and Patrick Niarco stay healthy and. Lamar Nagel has scored it is starting 10 or, or 12 games next year. I have absolutely no problem with that uh, cake and it's not close. Jason. Yeah. Uh, this one's also like Mullins. It's an extremely easy one. Um, we've got Lloyd Sam is 32. Uh, Patrick Niarco is 30 and has had a long history of injury in his career. Um, Nagel is almost a starter at both of those, both of their positions. Um, if, if one of them were to slack off, he would push ahead of them easily. Um, the attacking, uh, qualities he brings off the bench. He's relentless. He's fast. Um, they help great when he subs into games where United's already in the lead, where he could be the counterattacking threat. He also defends really well, uh, not quite as well as Niarco, but better than Sam. So he's also an option when United is just protecting a lead. Um, so on all fronts, um, and on a team that only has one other player that can play up front right now, um, on the, well, okay, Igbon and Ike is still on the roster and Saburi is technically still on the team, sort of, um, 
Yeah, you have to keep uh, Nagel. There's no question about it. And, and he's also, and I've heard this off the field, um, an excellent presence in the locker room. Uh, extremely well, like not just by the the players, but also by the team staff. So, yeah, there's no there's no good argument for getting rid of him. So, go. Yeah, not just that. He's uh, been in the humanitarian of the year running yeah. uh, for Seattle, he's, for us, for for every team he plays for. He's he always gives back to the community uh, and gives on the field too. If, if you go yeah. to um, Sounder at Heart and look up, I, I don't know the art name of their article, but every year they do a Lamar Nagel Foundation event with Sounder at Heart. Um, that's where he's from. It's not just he played for the Sounders for a long time. He's from I want to say Federal Way, Washington. Um, yeah. So. Um, they do an event every year and it's a, it's a big deal out there and it's not just something he's doing for show. It's, you know, it's something that means something to him. So yeah, good guy on the field, good guy off the field. There's, there's no question. Lamar Nagel gets, gets cake from me. Last name on the list this week, Patrick Niarco, uh, another easy call, another easy slice of cake, uh, for me. He came in this year from the Chicago fire and was probably United's best player through the first half of the year. Uh, even though he missed some time due to a couple of concussions over the course of the year, I think he he was a strong player in the four four two. Helped make it work until uh, it, it just couldn't anymore when he he went out with his second concussion of the year, and then he came back just in time for the four one four one to really get into gear, and and he thrived in that one too. Ben, what do you say? Yeah, you got to give uh, cake to Patrick Niarco. Uh, I mean, we don't necessarily know how well he's going to do next year, but I mean, you could say that about any player. I mean, it's a year to year thing in soccer. Anybody can fall off uh, the cliff at any time. And he did, he did so well last year. He was the team's MVP, uh, I think. And you've got to let him come back and start. And hopefully he can, uh, provide at least even a, part of the service that he provided this year and uh, DC Nadal will be a good team. Jason. Uh, this one's also, these are all very easy. Um, Nyarko <laughs> is maybe the best defensive winger in all of MLS. Um, he had arguably the best season of his career this year. Um, the numbers would have, I Thanks, think Chicago, I think they would have borne that out if he didn't have the concussion, which is something we have to worry about. Um, you know, he's had so many at this point that you anytime he has a head problem, you've got to worry about it. Um, but if he's I mean, no one's forcing him on the field and he still says that he's ready to go and ready to play um, and he's passing the concussion protocol. Uh, you know, you you let him make that decision for himself. And I don't think there's any reason to be overly worried about it. Um, and as far as a making a choice on the roster perspective. I mean, he's been excellent for DC United, you know, during the early part of the year when United couldn't create anything, the things they created were mostly having to do with Patrick Niarco. So um, he's been excellent and there's no, uh, you know, at at this point, he's uh, one of the best players on the team. You've got to keep him. So go. All right. That does it for cake or death this week. Tune in next week. Same cake or death time. Same cake or death podcast. Bat time, bat channel. That also, none of that made any sense. No, no. Can you Kyle tell it's time. 11 o'clock? And we, we are, you should channel. feel ashamed of yourselves. We are way beyond our normal recording time um, due to late starts and technical difficulties. And the zoning commission just finished. It's 11 o'clock at night. 
on a Monday night and the zoning commission just finished their, their hearing. Um, kudos to Steve Streff, Stephen Streff, who, who hung out there for, you know, so many hours. I think by the time the story is done being told, it will be, you know, a 48 hour endeavor that he just sat in that room and reported. Mm -hmm. So rather than ending up there, let's go ahead and just call this Steven Streff sat in the zoning commission room for 48 hours for that hearing. Way to go, buddy. Spread, spread word of his deeds. Yes. <laughs> Tell your friends and your family. Feats of strength. He, he's, he's doing Festivus early with the feats of strength. And we've already had airing of gre- grievances, so this is just one big Festivus episode. Um, let's really quickly touch on the last two games of the MLS season that are coming up. Um, we are down to... I get, it, It's a weird situation. We're down to three teams left who have a chance to win MLS Cup this year. Seattle has eliminated Colorado out west, but the MLS, the, the Eastern Conference final uh won't be resolved until wednesday night uh let's start out west where seattle won both legs uh two to one at home and one nothing on the road to get past colorado uh colorado all they needed was a one nothing win at home in the second leg which they've seemingly done all year that's that was what they did they won one nothing at home they didn't let you score at home and they were going to get their one goal and they this is their first home loss all year and like i think literally the eighth goal in yes, the actual eighth eight, goal that they gave up all year. Eighth goal in 19 league games, including playoffs, yep. uh, in Colorado this year. And it's what eliminated them. Jason, was this just Sam Cronin missing, or what, what happened here? Uh, I think this is the result of Colorado being a team that has to play in such close margins. I said it coming into the playoffs. Fortunately, I said it on this podcast, so people can actually double-check me on that. Um, I said that I didn't think the Rapids were going to go any further than this point because they were one mistake, one bad moment away from losing a game because they don't score many goals. They're dependent on shutouts. Um, I think the Rapids started the game as about the best I've seen them start a game all year. Um, the first 25 minutes were excellent from Colorado, except in the final third, they couldn't complete the last pass they needed. Um, and when that didn't work, it seemed like the Rapids sort of like it seemed like emotionally they were very heavily in on the idea that they were going to dominate the game, go high press, create chances and score a goal and get going. And it didn't happen because Seattle, you know, lost in all the uproar with them signing Lodero and Jordan Morris and all this, Seattle's been a good defensive team all year long. Um, Their problem was never at the back. Um, And Seattle was prepared to hold them off, and they held them off. I tweeted out a shot chart where um, the Rapids took 16 shots. 10 of them were from over 22 yards out. Um, They had no shots on goal. Stefan Fry did not have to make a save. He just had to make a couple punches and and such that he didn't really handle that well, actually. Um, He almost made some mistakes that would have given the Rapids a goal. But um, this wasn't down to Sam Cronin. I think this was down to coaching. I think Pablo Mastroeni didn't set his team up to do a, it. It was all in on one thing, and it was, oh, in the first 20 to 30 minutes, we'll go get a goal. And when that didn't happen, the Rapids were unprepared mentally. They didn't have – there wasn't a strategic move that was coming. There was also not really much resiliency in the team. It was just like, well, it didn't work. What do we do? And then, ha- you know, you lose 20 minutes, and then half, you wait for halftime. You don't have – when you're losing an aggregate uh, two-leg – Ty, you don't have 20 minutes to lose. You have to do something with that time. Um, 
the Sounders, I mean, the Sounders looked bad in the first half, um, but to their credit, they inverted their wingers in the second half, um, and they also just sort of recovered themselves a little bit and realized, like, hey, we're actually in a pretty good spot. Um, we're still in the aggregate. We're still in control right now, and they looked much more confident uh, after halftime. They got the goal, um, and from there, it was just basically waiting for the Rapids to 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 lose. I mean, the, the Rapids' best chance of the entire game involved fouling Stephen Fry and Jermaine Jones doing a blind flick over a crowd of people on a corner to try and loft the ball in. Um, it wasn't a yeah, conventional game, scoring chance. It was a, like, one-in-a-million oddball goal, and that was their best chance of the match. Yeah, this was one where Colorado tried to defend their way into scoring a goal, which which can work. It worked for the Timbers at the start of MLS Cup last year. Um they tried to force the Sounders to make a terrible mistake and it, it didn't work. And then they, they didn't have any answers and they were exhausted because uh, Jermaine Jones has played 270 minutes of soccer in the last week, which is a lot of soccer to play in a short period of time, especially you're if you're 35? coming back from injury. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're 35 coming back from injury and yeah, it's, it, it, it just, it didn't work and it probably wasn't going to work. Then again, I don't know what would have for them without, like with the pieces they had available. And also, uh, even though I wish nothing but pain upon the, the Seattle Sounders soccer team, Colorado, the Colorado is still riding the improbability of 2010. And so I, I don't have any pity for them because 2010 was an abomination before the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's turn out East now. Um, or back east or whatever uh preposition you prefer before the word east uh where montreal under. and toronto let's under turn is the preposition under I east i i think that's wrong but i don't you, have you a way to me, prove it you just asked me which pref- which preposition i prefer and i prefer under and ben it's well established that your subjective opinions are often wrong you just asked me what preposition I prefer. I prefer the preposition under. And you're wrong. No. <laughs> around. Around. Back around east. That that actually kind of works. Uh, Montreal that got off to better, a... better, damn it. <laughs> Drink more, Ben. Clearly. Uh, the Montreal Impact got off to a flying start against TFC in, in the first leg, scoring three goals before... The Reds drew two back after a tactical shift. Uh, they will play the second leg at BMO Field on Wednesday. Uh, the Grey Cup, I think, was in Toronto this past weekend, which kept them from playing it. Then I have no idea why the games were on Tuesday to start, but we're not going to worry about that. Um, Jason, how about this tactical shift that the that TFC pulled to, to get two goals back at the end of this game? And, and how huge is that? It's interesting because they actually they actually move. They were in a three five two um, with Michael Bradley as the deepest midfielder. Um, that didn't work um, mostly because Armando Cooper and Jonathan Osorio just didn't show up. They had the two of them were awful, um, and Bradley was often by himself uh, trying to solve a three man job by himself. It's not a good idea. Um, they switched, they pushed Osorio up high and dropped Cooper in alongside Bradley about 27, 28 minutes into the game. Um, and that sort of stemmed the tide a little bit. It didn't, it made things less terrible, but Montreal also was just 
at that point already in the lead, so they didn't have as much, uh, they didn't have to show as much aggression. Um, the real key was that they replaced Cooper and Osorio uh, with, um, was it Will Johnson and, I don't have my notes in front of me, so I can't remember who the other sub was, but, um, or they brought um, um, Toussaint Ricketts in up front and dropped Giovinco in as the attacking midfielder. Um and they, I mean, they had to go for it. Um, and Ricketts usually causes uh, some chaos. Um, he's been good for that throughout the playoffs. Um, or since he arrived, really, he's been an underrated acquisition for TFC. Um, and I think Montreal was maybe a little satisfied with how the game was going. They're up 3 nothing. Um, it's kind of a dream first leg for them. And they maybe were just a little too comfortable. Um, TFC kept pushing. Uh, to their credit, I mean, the game was going terribly for them. They didn't just give in. Um, and, the, you know, the first goal that, that TFC scored was kind of a – it wasn't the best goal in the world. It was a little bit sloppy. Um, but it lifted them up, and now they've they've all of a sudden – they you know, they went from being kind of buried. If Montreal finishes that game the way they finished D.C. and the way they finished the Red Bulls, then TFC is looking at 3 nothing against a team that just sits in encounters, and they're doomed. Um, but Montreal for the first time in the playoffs did not finish off their opponent in the proper manner. They weren't very disciplined. Um, they looked a little heavy in the legs. They looked like they were mentally not completely dialed in as they had been. They maybe, maybe the scoreboard let them get a little confident, a little too confident, I should, should say. Um, and now they've got a real yeah, problem. Yeah, because they actually did allow two goals against DC. They at did. The end. They did in deep into the game where it was obvious that there was no, there was no saving it. Um, and one of the, one of which was a spectacular Galazzo yes. from Taylor Kemp. Um, shooter. Uh, but shooter. shooter. But, but yeah, now, you know, Montreal now has to go to BMO field and a one, nothing win by TFC or two, one win by TFC will send TFC through to MLS cup final. They went from a pr- virtually a dream position. Really. They kind of squandered it. Um, and in a, in a way that, up until this point, if anything, Montreal looked like the most professional, quote-unquote, team in the playoffs. They looked like the team that could throttle, uh, uh, you know, get a lead in the right way and then throttle their opponent and ruin everything for them and, you know, walk out without really much of a problem. And now they've got a really, really difficult game on Wednesday to deal with. Yeah, uh, Ben, who would you give the advantage to in this one? Montreal has the lead, but Toronto... You know, if they score, all of a sudden they have a huge advantage. I think you have to give it to Toronto. They're they're coming home. They've got Giovinco. Uh, yeah, I, I think you have to give the slight advantage to them, even though they're down a goal right now. They also have the two away goals, which do not count double MLS or and just soccer in general in general uh, shorthanders, uh, but. It, it is a big advantage to have uh, those two away goals. So I think you have to give the advantage to Toronto, even though they're coming from a behind position and even though they could still very much Toronto it up and just completely crap the bed, but I don't think they yeah. will. Yeah. I'm inclined to agree. Like the, that that Toronto probably has the advantage right now, but I wouldn't be that surprised to see Montreal get the first goal at BMO field either, at which point Toronto has to score two. And this is a team that has often panicked and, and gotten into way too much of a hurry and pass the ball really well until they get to the final third. And then they just pump it in and 
as as strong as Josie Altador is, uh, and as good as Jovinko is, neither of them is a the kind of guy you just pump crosses to. And if Toronto starts doing that, then they are doomed, and we will be rooting for Montreal in the MLS Cup final. I'm not saying that will happen, but I wouldn't be that surprised if it does either. Anything else before we we call it a night? No, it's late. <laughs> it it really is. Ben has in fact fallen asleep on us. Not true. <laughs> I'm just I'm just trying to make this go faster, which you are steadfastly refusing to do. I really am. Thank you all for listening tonight. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. We are on uh, iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We'd also appreciate it if you told a friend about the show. That's the best way to get the word out about this little production that's been going on probably longer than it should have. But we're going to keep making it because no one's told us to stop yet. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.